the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, things going on in your heart and your mind about life. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, uh, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just one button. Call now at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Everything else is hands-free, and you'll be safe. Uh, tonight, I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Kings chapter 18. I'm only going to get eight verses tonight, and we're going to cross over into 2 Chronicles. Uh, this is, we, 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 we actually get to, after all these bad kings and horrible things, uh, tonight we meet Hezekiah. God's own word says, a king like no other. So this is a really, really encouraging study, but it's also very practical and instructive as well. I hope that um, will be a blessing to you. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. Um, All you have to do is call. She'll be here all day tomorrow. Okay, let's go to questions and see what you've got while we wait any phone calls. The first one comes from Daniel. He says, uh, is believing in hell an essential of our faith? Um, You know, Daniel, it is not an essential for salvation. However, having said that, it is an essential for any kind of fruitful living at all. And if you sort of extrapolate it out, uh, the belief in hell is important because Jesus talked a lot about it. Now, I know we live in a culture where people don't like to talk about hell. I get it all the time. How can a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send anybody to hell. But here's the thing. We're created in the image of God. One of the key components of that is that we're eternal. From the moment we uh, are born, actually the moment of conception, we're going to live somewhere forever and ever and ever. And if we're going to live somewhere forever and ever, then um, we get to choose where that is. We choose to, serve, to, to live with God forever. We call that heaven. If we choose to live uh, independent of God forever, we call that hell. And the, the issue, Daniel, is that we have to make that choice in this life. While we're alive, we make that choice of our own free will. And, and God simply, in eternity, honors our own free will. Imagine how uh, horrible it would be if God forced us to serve him we didn't want to and then he made us hang out with him in eternity and the reality is most of the people that don't believe in hell have made a choice in life to be independent of god and if you're going to be independent of him if you're going to live independently this is really important 
then there's going to be a consequence. Nobody has to go to hell. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. But it's a choice that we can all make. And if we choose instead to live our lives here independent of God, well, then that's where we're going to spend eternity, independent of God. And that's deepest, darkest blackness. I want to repeat, Daniel, that Jesus spoke an awful lot about hell. And either he's telling the truth or he's not. So I know people don't like to hear about hell. I know what I just said upset some people, but that's the reality. So it is an absolute essential for any kind of fruitful living. And what I have found, this is just my personal observation, uh, people who end up not believing in hell because they just emotionally can't take it, um, they really were never believers in the first place. Obviously, if God is just, he has to punish sin. And since um, in his presence there's only going to be joy and peace, um, then, then there has to be an alternative for those of us who choose to live independent of God. So I hope that helps you. Thank you very, very much for the question. Let's go to the phones. We've got Dee on line one from San Antonio. Dee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Dee. How about you? I'm great. It sounds like you just answered my question, but I didn't hear all of it, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Okay. Um, how do you answer someone who believes in reincarnation? Oh. I'm speaking with a family member, and although I have explained the reasons Jesus came to earth and had to die for our sins, she said that it didn't resonate with her or her husband. <laughs> she explained her theory of reincarnation as we don't cease to exist but we continue to return until our life force or energy returns until we run out of energy. So I did get the fact that she believes we never cease to exist, but I'm trying to figure out where to go from there. Yeah. And I will, yeah, hang up Thank and listen to you on the radio. Thank you, Dee. That's a good question. You know, what I find is that people who come up with theories like that are looking for any sort of hope. It's false hope. And I've said often that false hope is worse than no hope at all. Uh, but it's false hope. Um, but they want to they want to believe that they can earn their way to some better place. And they're going to try their best to live a good life. And they'll come back in the next life a little bit better. But the problem is, what about people who don't live better lives? And, and do they devolve rather than evolve in, in, a, in a negative direction rather than in a positive direction? Now, here's what I always do when I have somebody who, who talks to me about reincarnation. I'll ask them, where did you get that? What makes you believe? What is your source or your authority for believing in reincarnation? And they never have one. Well, that just, re and I'll use your word, th that resonates with us. And, and the answer is what they want to do is to continue to sin. They want to live their life independent of God. And they want to believe that somehow that's going to be okay with God if there is, in fact, a God who is out there. And the idea of reincarnation is so uh, uh, impractical. It makes absolutely no sense at all. And I usually will just simply end up by telling people, look, uh, God has given you the free will to believe anything you want, but whatever it is you choose to believe, you better have a basis for believing it. And here's the basis for what I believe, what I've shared with you about Jesus Christ, is that he was a real historical person, that he really lived on this earth, he was murdered. The evidence for that is overwhelming. He didn't stay dead. Equally overwhelming is the evidence for that. And that empty tomb proves that everything that Jesus said was true. And he said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And D, if they don't want to talk about it after that, if they don't want to change a position, I stop talking. I know that's hard. We like to convince people. But the reality is we can't convince anybody of anything. Um, we just tell them how to get to God. And then the rest is between them and God, the Holy Spirit. He is the one who will penetrate their heart. He's the one who will convict them of sin. He's the one that will convince them that Jesus was real. And uh, nobody gets saved apart from that work of the Holy Spirit. Now, he's trying. He's calling people. He's even using you in this case to do it. But the reality is that if they don't want to get saved, um, they can believe any nonsense that they want to. And that's when I just stop talking. And, and of course, I pray for them. 
especially this is somebody you know, uh, I pray for them over and over and over repeatedly. Uh, I, my heart gets broken by people that believe this silliness, and uh, so I will pray for them uh, for quite a long time. And and I just I just ask the Holy Spirit to make it difficult to believe in the nonsense they believe in. But we can't convince them. We can't save them. All we can do is two things. Tell them, and God bless you, Dee, for telling them. And the second thing we can do is pray for them. And, and there is a third thing we can do. The third thing we can do is live our life with such joy that our lives are that pleasing aroma of God to people so that when we leave, they start thinking, well, you know, boy, she has something that I don't have. And if we'll understand that, Dee, then... Um, the, 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 the transaction then is between them and the Lord. And we got to be okay with that. we got to be okay with that. Sometimes you're just the seed planter. Somebody else will come along and water it. God will use circumstances that come to bear in their life uh, to help make it grow. And one day somebody will get saved. And, and uh, you'll have had your part in it. And there will be rewards in heaven as a result. But don't try to convince them. Just declare the message. I think too often, D, we're um, too invested in defending the message and we don't need to defend. All we need to do is declare. Paul said that the gospel of God is the power of salvation. That's why he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so all we do is tell them the truth. And when people want to hold on to silliness, if they won't answer honest questions, okay, what's the basis for you believing that? By what authority have you made that decision? And they will almost always sort of hem and haw around it. Well, well, it's just something that makes sense to us or we choose to believe that. Well, of course you choose to believe that because that way you can keep sinning. And because all humans are sinners and no one can come to the Father, unless their sins be washed, and Jesus is the only way. I see you just prefer to keep on sinning. And just leave it at that. Don't argue. Don't have a tone or an edge in your voice. Just tell them the truth. And God will be pleased, and that's what really matters the most. Good question, Dee. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Jefferson. Uh, why do you keep saying progressive Christians aren't really Christians? You're judging a whole group of us. Well, Jefferson, I say that because we don't get to change Jesus. You see, there's one Jesus. He's God. And we don't get to change him. And that's what progressive Christians are doing. They're changing who he is. They're changing his person, his character. They're dismissing the word of God. And um, when you say you're judging a whole group of us, the reality, Jefferson, as a so-called professing Christian, you, you have no authority in your life. You can say, well, I believe this is better. I think this feels better. But the reality is there's no authority for making those decisions. And so here's what I'm saying. Except a man or a woman be born again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And when people are born again, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, will lead us into all truth. And since we have God's word, we can't decide that we're going to change it because Changing it suits us. It makes us feel a little bit better. we got to make a decision, Jefferson, about are we for God or are we for the world around us? Now, the world has been softening the gospel message from the very beginning. That's why they hated Jesus. That's why they hated his disciples who became apostles. That's why his followers in the first century were, were uh, persecuted, many, many of them unto death. Because when light comes into darkness, darkness doesn't like it. And what progressive Christians have tried to do, and I use that term loosely, just those who identify as progressive Christians, what they do is they simply try to walk that middle line, one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and uh, really not belonging anywhere. And what they try to do is reinvent or recreate a God in their own image instead of recognizing that we were created in the image of God. So I don't know you, Jefferson. I don't know the whole group of people who are progressive Christians. I'm saying that what progressive Christians believe is not Christian at all. 
So I hope that makes sense to you. And and uh, think about it. If you were God, would you want people changing who you were or changing the the rules or the guidelines, moving the goalposts? No. God's the one who makes the rules. And we decide whether or not we will follow him. But if we choose not to, we don't get to escape the consequences. So very simply, those who identify as pro- progressive Christians are not born-again Christians at all. They're just people trying to, to serve the Lord. You know, in our Bible study tonight in Second uh, uh, Kings chapter 18, um, when we meet Hezekiah, he's actually a man, great, great courage, great, great commitment, and there's a lot of reasons why. I'll talk about those uh, in my study tonight. But this is a man who stood against the, the world around him, and he didn't care what people thought or what they said. He just cared about being obedient to God. And that's what we've got to do. That's what we've got to do. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here's a question from Natalie. She says, is it worth debating with people who say we have to be baptized to be saved? Natalie, it is not um, uh, good at all uh, to debate, to argue with people. Um, The person who is going to take a couple of verses out of context, uh, most notably Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, It's interesting in Acts chapter 4, uh, or at the end of Acts chapter 3, actually, um, um, there's no mention of baptism uh, with the group of people that he's calling to repentance. Um, so so if their mind is made up, just tell them that that's contrary to what the Bible says. Um, baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is something we do because we're saved. I'm sorry. Um, in the, all we do is just tell them, and then we let them work it out, challenge them and tell them, you dig through the scriptures, you find out what the base of salvation is. And when we add to our, whatever it is that saves us, we're, we're then creating a works salvation that simply is in contrast, uh, opposition really to the rest of the word. Thank you for that question. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I have been um, reading about Hezekiah, and I was curious about his upbringing. His mother was Abijah, and her father was Zechariah, and I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm guessing that they must have really loved the Lord, because somebody there had to have loved the Lord to, uh, to teach him. <laughs> and I was just curious if we knew anything about his mom and his, and his, and his granddad. So, yeah. anyways, I'll get off the radio and listen. Thank Bye. you, Cindy. I will mention that tonight. Yeah, he had a godly dad, Zachariah. Not his, that was her husband, not her father. But, uh, yeah, he was a godly man. We've, we've read about him in scriptures times when he's taken a stand for the Lord, even at the expense, great cost. And, and his wife, Abijah was uh, also um, shoulder to shoulder with him. And so Hezekiah... Um, had um, um, in godly influences uh, around him. So really, really important. Now, um, and, and I misspoke. Uh, Zechariah was, was her father, not her husband. Um, his father, as you know, Hezekiah's, was um, up to this point the worst king in all of Judah's history. Um, neck and neck with one who will come after Hezekiah, uh, Manasseh. But uh, the reality is she was a godly mother and influence. I think a couple of things, uh, Cindy, really influenced him, uh, not, not to mention the, the people that were around him, but, but uh, his godly mother. Uh, but also, I think he saw the consequences of his father's choices. And, you know, this is happening at the same time or around the same time that uh, Israel, the northern tribes, have been under siege. And uh, he's watching them fall. And I think it, it spiked in Hezekiah a holy fear of God. He saw what happened to his father. He knew that if he didn't change things, Judah would be judged just like uh, the northern tribes were judged, Israel. 
And uh, the result then becomes um, very simply that um, uh, he, he knew that judgment was coming unless he made some changes. Kind of like Noah. Uh, my spirit will not contend with man forever. His days will be 120. Noah took that message from God very, very seriously. And in this particular case, um, the exact same thing is happening. So there's a lot of, I think, influences. But the reality is, is we have to infer those influences because we don't really know for sure. Cindy, good question. And tonight we're just going to begin just the first eight verses of Hezekiah's life. And it is a very, very worthwhile study. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from George from our email inbox. George, it's good to hear from you again. He says, Pastor on someone new sat behind me at church on Sunday. As worship began, they let loose their vocal cards in worship and sang with such passion and heart. Praise the Lord. But oh my goodness, Pastor on I was so distracted. It was as if Yoko Ono herself were standing behind me, screeching away loudly and proudly. I'm not trying to be mean, just factual. I can't imagine I was the only one distracted. In a situation like this, what does one do? Sure, you can just move, but this has been my spot for years. I don't really want to move, and if everyone moves and this new person is alone, then it's obvious and not kind. Do I just endure it as I did Sunday, even though it made it almost impossible to focus? As a pastor, what would you say to this person if they worshipped right next to you? What if they had a voice like this and they asked to be a part of the worship team? I could just sit somewhere else, but I don't know. Can you help, Pastor? <laughs> uh, George, we have all of us been in that situation at some time. Um, you know, there are times when I want to hear, uh, you know, obviously I, I'm in worship three times on Sunday mornings. And uh, I know a particular song or, or uh, Jocelyn or even Paula, especially when Paula is singing a part. I want to hear her voice, you know, and I just enjoy it so much. And, you know, there's somebody behind me or somebody next to me or somebody across the aisle from me. And they're singing really, really loud. And I just have to remember I'm, I'm focusing on the Lord now. And I think this is just a matter of discipline. Praise God that she's singing uh, with the right heart. Uh, she's making a joyful noise to the Lord, and I, I, I can only hope and pray that we would bear with one another in love, that we would be patient toward one another. And, you know, another thing that I found, George, and it seems obvious that you are coming to uh, our church here, um, we have a lot of new people that come from other churches with different backgrounds and different worship styles. And what happens is that they learn what orderly worship really is all about. And they will change over time. And so we just have to be patient with them and give them some grace. You know, when you're having a hard time focusing and that happens the next Sunday, what you need to do is just pray for her right now. Pray, Lord, uh, she's making a joyful noise. It's really loud, but it is a joyful noise. So bless her, Lord. And you just watch how fast the Holy Spirit kind of refocuses you because you're doing the right thing there. Now, let me also say a couple of other. First, let me see. I've only, in, in all of our years here, we've had one lady that we have had to ask to tone it down. Just one lady. And she was very offended and she left our church. Uh, but she she loved the Lord for her. But, I mean, she was screaming and, and, and really screaming. And we put up with it for a few weeks, and then we asked her, and uh, and she got offended. That's that's just something's going to happen. But but give her some time to let the spirit of God speak to her, and and uh, deal with that. Now, let me also mention uh, we got a couple minutes here. Oh yeah. Okay, got a couple of minutes left in this half. Um, you know this thing about we all have our church and our our, our place in the church. And it's where we've been sitting for years and years and years. We kind of need to get over that. Now, I sit in the same place. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm the pot calling kettle black here. I sit in the same place. But I sit in the same place for a reason. I've got to have the ability to be on an aisle uh, where uh, people can come and talk to me if there's an emergency or if we have some kind of a problem without disturbing a lot of people. And I also need to sit in the front because being visually impaired, I need to be able to walk to the stage uh, but but the rest of us um, move around a little bit or find some place close 
but remember that we don't rent those chairs. Um, there's plenty of seats. Now, we don't always have plenty of open seats for sure, but um, just move around. You, you'll get to meet different people, and that's part of the fun of coming to church. So um, endure it like you did last Sunday and pray for her. Um, and then um, uh, sit somewhere else. You can do, there's a lot of things you can do. Maybe even introduce yourself to her and say, oh, it's so nice to hear you. You're singing with such joy. And let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to her because what he will do is he will, um, he will start focusing her a, a little bit more on worshiping God rather than, than distracting others. We don't want anybody's worship to be distracting. Uh, George, if you come here, you know our drummer. Uh, when he first came to church, he wanted to run around the church and, and dance and sing and shout and jump and all those things because that's the church background he came from. He thought we were horrible at first for not letting him do that. Um, but, but now he's been here, gosh, 10 years. And what a wonderful gift he's been and his family to our church. So the Holy Spirit can help. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show. We'd love your calls and questions, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from abby from our email inbox she says, I was looking in the archives for a study on Micah 3, but I could not find one. I felt God over the past week direct me there and tell me I needed to read that, but I would like to hear your input on that chapter so I could understand it more deeply. Um, Abby, I haven't done Micah 3. You know, I've gone through the Bible and then the New Testament, uh, gone through many of the books. I think we're on our fifth time through the book of Acts and and and, uh, and others. Uh, but we do the, the New Testament twice a week we do a, a one book on Friday and then a different book on Sundays and we only go through the Old Testament once a week and so there are some books I haven't gotten to yet now we we have duplicates and I've been in others I've done Genesis I think three times and I just kind of as the Lord leads and uh, I, I want to be going through the minor prophets but I never want to go through them one right after another uh, because they're similar and people frankly get tired of them uh, and, and so um, um, just I, I just haven't gotten there yet. That's why it's not there. So let me share with you briefly uh, what it is in, in um, uh, Micah chapter 3. Um, first and foremost, really meditate on this passage of Scripture. If the Lord is leading you there, um, let, let the Holy Spirit have the first opportunity at sharing with you. Now, here's what's happening. Um, Micah, in previous chapters, um, was talking to God's people in general. When he gets to chapter 3, he's specifically speaking to the leaders. Uh, and the reason is because they had a, a, a more accountability. Um, they were more responsible to God. And so that's what he's doing in this chapter. Uh, and he says basically to the leaders, and this is what's really bad, you who hate good and love evil. Um Mike is basically saying, you know, you, you talk a good game, but in private, you're, you're not the person you claim to be. And over and over, God sent prophets to the people, especially the leaders, for those very things. So um, one of the things we've got to remember is that the leaders are there by the grace of God. You know, so many of us, we want to be used by God, but we, we want to be used by God for the wrong reasons. Our motives are wrong. Instead of just understanding what a privilege and honor it is to serve the Lord, we always want something in it for ourselves. And that was what was happening um, to the leaders in uh, Israel that Micah 
was sent to. And so what he's saying is that he's going to judge them, and the judgment is that they're not going to hear his voice. And, of course, we know that after Malachi, the, the, the Lord was completely silent for 400 years. That's why when John the Baptist showed up at the Jordan River, everybody, everybody ran out because God was speaking again, and word spread like crazy. Um, but God was saying, I'm going to make it uh, quiet. You're not going to hear from me because I'm going to hide my face from you. And then he pronounces judgment against those who are false prophets, not the leaders, but the leaders who are listening to the false prophets, but the false prophets themselves. They're the people who say, oh, God's with you. Don't worry about it. There's not going to be any judgment. And they reject the real prophets of God. So that's what this passage is all about. And because Micah, when you get down to verse 8, when Micah responds, um, he knows as a true prophet of God that he is really walking by the power of the Spirit of God. And and his is a just cause, and that's what he's going to do. So um, I think there will be a specific part of that passage, uh, Abby, that the Lord will speak to you from. And that's what you really need to focus on. Because if you do, I promise the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. But work at it. Meditate on it. It's a short chapter. Uh, read it several times. And, and then, then take a walk with the Lord and just let him speak to your heart. And he will take. These, one of the great things about these prophets is that they will give you uh, the opportunity to hear from God very, very personally um, regarding the the. the situation or circumstance that God wants to speak to you from. Abby, God bless you for that. I'm also reading in the Minor Prophets right now uh, in my personal reading. So um, hang in there and sort of labor through it. Labor through it. Let's go to Jeff on line one. Jeff, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Well, hello, Pastor, and I know you'll know who it is by my voice, and that's <laughs> good enough. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to um, just an alternate perspective from the person who called in about somebody singing. Um, for me, I've got a very big voice. I know you know that, even speaking. I've got a very big voice. And I've had other people say that I encourage them in, in the congregation to sing because they don't. They, they don't have a strong voice. Maybe they can't stay on key, things of that nature. But the last thing to me that was more important is that the group that's leading worship, that's the key. They're leading us to worship also, not a performance where we just listen to them and i i have a lady who's very very close to me and i won't say the name but she can't hold a note for anything she it's, <laughs> it's it's actually you know quite bad but i know when she's singing to god she's in love with the world jeff i don't disagree with the single word you said now let me be uh, direct with you as well you actually have a really good voice and no, uh, I, I, you know, you, you're you're usually several rows, uh, I don't know, ten rows, twelve rows behind me, and and you see me sometimes looking around at you. I love hearing your voice because that I, I oh Jeff's here, and and you have such a nice voice. And I think the people that are a little difficult are the ones, uh, like you said, who can't sing on key at all, and that can be distracting. But here's a, that's an opportunity where we can say, Lord, there is somebody who doesn't have this gift. You know, this isn't somebody that I would invite to, to, to rehearse or audition for the worship team. But this is somebody whose heart is so right before you. And, and uh, that's worth rejoicing over. So I don't disagree with anything you said there, Jeff. Well, I, I love you, Pastor. And because I know your wife is listening, I love you too, Paula. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Jeff. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know there are times when, especially men, because you know we have we have a lot of female singers on the worship team, and um, there are some men, and I will hear them singing, and I've got a really good ear for music. Now I can't sing, I don't have a big voice like Jeff does, so nobody hears me singing, but I don't have a, a good voice. I can't I can't sing on key, and um, when I hear a man who can sing really well especially if that man's been in the church for a little bit of time, I'll say, hey, what are you doing out here? You ought to have already talked to Pastor Elaine and, and asked him about getting on the worship team or getting on one of our worship teams. 
and and leading worship is a neat thing but jeff's point is a is is a great one we need to understand that our worship team it's not a performance it's participatory worship and their job is to lead the rest of us into worship and when we do that as jeff said well some of the people are going to be worshiping without the same gifts of the spirit so very very important um, we've just started a, a, a new uh, worship ministry here at the church just in the last few months uh, called Minute Worship. And um, uh, it's just a bunch of men getting together. They're, they're getting together this Saturday at 8.30, and it's just a bunch of men. Um, no leader, really. It's not a performance thing. It's just men worshiping the Lord. And um, um, I'm surprised at some of the people, the number of people, but also at some of the people who are there but that's just a heart that really wants to worship God. So thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. Good to hear from you. You know, as long as you've been coming to our church, I think this is the first time you've called the program. Here is a question from Ricardo. He says, can Jews possibly be saved by keeping the law or do they need Jesus also? Um, no one is justified by keeping the law, Ricardo, because nobody can keep the law. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' whole point was it's not just the letter of the law that we need to keep perfectly. To violate the law in one point is to violate all of the law. Um, but it's to keep the spirit behind the, the, the letter of the law. And the, uh, the, the, the law, because we can't keep it, that points us to Jesus, according to Galatians. Uh, and we know that we're, we're in trouble. And again, because Jesus raised the standard, it's not just, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you look at a woman with lust, you're already guilty of adultery. Those are, that's just Jesus making it impossible for anybody to possibly think even for a moment, even for a moment, that they can keep the law and they don't need Jesus. We have to believe in Jesus Christ. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor. Through faith, and the faith not of ourselves, we don't even have the ability for the faith, it is the gift of God. So Jews need Jesus, and apart, I'm talking about individual Jews. God's made promises to national Israel, unconditional promises, and he will keep those promises. Individual Jews, Ricardo, simply have to decide whether or not they're going to be in the remnant, and, and by definition, remnant is a small number, or are they going to take that broad, well-traveled road that leads to an eternity separated from God? So just being Jewish doesn't get you to heaven. Jesus Christ is the justifier of all sin, and we need him. So good question, Ricardo. Thank you very, very much. You know, the tragedy is that there are some people for uh, reasons of political correctness or social correctness, some because uh, they feel that they're 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 calling in life is to be a blessing to Israel and we all should be a blessing to Israel uh, but but they they, they proclaim um, that Jews don't have to be evangelized and if that were the case it makes all of the letters of the Apostle Paul all of them rendered useless because he spent a lot of his time even in Romans 9, saying, I'd give my place in heaven if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. So that's that's the thing. So thank you. Here's a question from Jeremy. He says, did Adam and Eve have kids before Cain and Abel? Uh, no, it seems not. Let me, let me rephrase that, Jeremy. It seems not. Uh, we're not told specifically that they were the first two kids. They're certainly the first two kids that attract the attention of the story, of the narrative. Uh, and it seems as though they were the first two. Um, now, we know that Adam and Eve had many, many, many other children over the, the, the course of their lives. Uh, but it seems as though Cain and Abel were the first ones. Um, they were expelled from the garden um, before Cain killed Abel. Uh, but but we don't know for sure, and I think we make that assumption, and it's probably correct, but we don't really know for sure. So they had lots and lots of other kids, but um, it seems as though Cain and Abel were the first ones. You know, one of the things, Jeremy, that I always think about 
is, you know, in the Jewish mindset, and, and, and Adam and Eve were not Jews. I want to make that clear. But they had a relationship with God that nobody on earth had at that time. And um, when, when uh, they fell, uh, I have no doubt that God told them to, to teach their children the lessons from the garden. And I like to think that at least once a year, Adam and Eve would bring their sons back to the edge of the garden. You know, they couldn't go all the way into the garden uh, because it was, it was shut off from them. And, and the tree of life was, was protected by an angel with a flaming sword. Um, but but I, I believe that as a, as a godly father, Adam would have brought his children to the edge of the garden and said, this is where we used to live. And this is where your father blew it. And we need to be on guard and walk with God. And I believe it was a lesson that he would have taught them. Abel clearly received the lesson. Cain clearly did not. And of course, we know what happened after that. Good question, Jeremy. Thank you. Trey says, my new church sometimes does foot washing service. It seems weird to me, but what do you think? Um, Trey, um, uh, I, I think church is not, church, Sunday church especially, is not the place or the time uh, to have foot washing service. No, if a church has one service and lots of time, uh, I, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it, it's symbolic. Um, Jesus, when he washed feet, he said, I've done this as an example to you. Now go and do likewise. And I don't think he meant literally washing the feet, but figuratively washing the feet by being servants to the people um, that were there there in the body and to, to other Christians. And in, in foot washing ceremonies, I have seen such wonderful fruit. Our ladies, Trey, actually do this at their women's retreat every year. Uh, nobody ever asked them to. God just put on one lady's heart. And, you know, imagine how tough it was for her when she said, you know, I'm thinking about uh, doing foot washing. And she, she came and she asked for, for Paula's blessing on it. And Paula asked me and said, sure. Now, they've been doing it for years. And so many um, life-changing things happen during those services. You know, it's very humbling to have your feet washed. You know, you'd think, well, the foot washer is the humble one. No, no, no. When you get your feet washed, it is humbling. And and ladies will sit down and just start crying. We we actually have a separate room set up at our ladies' uh, retreats. And they'll go in, and uh, there's always a line of ladies waiting. And uh, it just it's, it's just amazing the way the Holy Spirit works. So uh, your church isn't doing anything wrong. Um I know it seems different. You, you use the word weird. Uh, but man, the, the Holy Spirit can really, really move in that process. Trey, I've had one service. In fact, I was teaching uh, that very chapter in the Gospel of John. Uh, and I had one service where the Lord put on my heart to pick out a, a woman. Um, actually, no, pick out somebody. It was, I, I picked out uh, one woman in two services and a man. In the, in the in the other service, and and uh, as my introduction, washed their feet, and I got down off of the stage, and um, we had a bucket and some towels, and I washed their feet, uh, praying for them as I was doing it, and it wasn't a show, it wasn't, it just I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do that, and um, um, boy, the Spirit of God really moved during that time. So I, I think these are good things. I just think you got to pick the right time and environment. And for me, a special service or a retreat um, or, or a men's conference or a women's conference would probably be better than a Sunday service. Uh, but that's just my opinion. And certainly your church isn't doing anything wrong and they're not doing anything that's weird. Thank you for the question. Kathleen says, Pastor Ron, what is meant by being transformed? by the renewing of our minds. Kathleen, we're brainwashed in this world that we live in. Uh, the propaganda, the brainwashing is is overwhelming in the world and the enemy conspiring with the world and with our flesh is trying to convince us. I had a question earlier about progressive Christians and, and, and the enemy has done a great job of convincing some professing Christians um, that there are different things that you don't need to do or you should do. Um, 
you know, the idea of people going to hell, those kind of things, uh, living in, in, in lifestyles that are in opposition to God's word. Oh, it's okay. God only cares about love. Um, the reason we think like that is because our minds have been taken captive by the spirit of this world. And we're closer to the world and what the world thinks, what the world wants, and we're closer to Jesus. And whenever you see somebody who's walking uh, in a manner that is inconsistent with the word of God, uh, they are being won over by the world. Sexual immorality is just one good example, Kathleen. Um, you know, we're so used to sex. We've been so desensitized by the attitude in this world about sex. Uh, I mentioned on the program yesterday, um, uh, porn is, is now a problem that affects men and women, affects uh, boys as young as, as 9 and 10 years of age because they have access to it on their phones. You know, the Song of Songs says, do not wake in a desire before it's time. And, and our kids aren't ready for that. And so it's just the world that has convinced us that all this stuff is not really that bad. Well, when Paul says that we need to be transformed, the only way that transformation can happen is by renewing, and I like to say it like this, by making new in our minds. And we've got to decide that I'm going to, I'm going to decide to believe Jesus. I'm going to take him at his word. And I'm going to do what he tells me to do. And I'm not going to do what the world tells me to do or what my flesh says is okay. And so we have to think new. And it is a process. And the only way to do that, Kathleen, is in the word of God. You cannot have a new mind. You will not think new if you're not a student of your Bible. And I don't mean just casual reading it, opening it, and once in a while reading a chapter here and a chapter there. No, I'm talking about reading systematically and letting the Lord speak to you. When, when Abby um, um, sent the question just a few minutes ago, um, she said she felt the Lord speaking to her heart to, to teach uh, or to, to read Micah chapter 3. Um, and, and he's going to have a word for her, a direct word. But, but see, that's only possible because she's in the word. So the renewing of your mind is having a new outlook or a new perspective on the world that we live in. Very, very, very important, Kathleen. Um, you cannot do it. I tell our church here all the time that if you are not in your word, you will, all of you, be won over by the spirit of this world. It's that simple. Whenever we feed our minds, whenever we focus on those are the things that we're going to accept. Those are the things that we're going to believe. And if we're going to do differently, then we've got to have a force, a supernatural, living and active word of God. And that word comes into our hearts and changes us. And our minds are changed. Why? Because our minds have been renewed. Um, and, and that's the source of our transformation. So that's what it means, Kathleen. It's very, very important. This will be the last one that we can take today. Donald says, can you lose your salvation? Donald, I don't mean to be trite here or flippant, but whenever I get this question, uh, the way you pose it, can you lose your salvation? My answer is always the same. I don't want to. Why would anybody want to lose their salvation? Uh, here's the thing that we have to understand. God is the one who gave us salvation as a free gift. God is the guarantor of our eternal destination. He's the one who promised. He gave us a, a deposit, a down payment, the Holy Spirit uh, as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, I have you in my hands and no one can snatch you out of my hands. Moreover, the Father who's greater than I has you in his hands and no one can snatch you out of his hands. So we're pretty secure. If you're truly born again, we're pretty secure in our salvation. Now, Donald, I know people like to argue, but here's the thing. A born-again believer, he may slip, she may slip, we may fall into sin, we even invent words that don't sound like it's too bad, we're backsliding. But the reality is the real believer comes home to God. The real believer comes home. So um, here's the way to view it. If you think you're a Christian and you walk away from God and you don't come back and you die in that condition, then you are kidding yourself. A real Christian wants to please God. A real Christian wants to serve the Lord uh, selflessly 
with no other motive. A real Christian wants to please God. Remember, the Holy Spirit, who is God, lives in us. And um, the identification of who is and who isn't really the Lord's, well, that's given to us in our Bibles. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If those things Donald characterize your life, it's because Jesus is in your heart. And he's not going to lie to you or trick you. So if you really belong to the Lord, you cannot lose your salvation. Now let me also say this in the minute I have left. We all know people who appear to be Christians who completely walk away from the Lord and their hearts get hard and they don't care at all. Uh, I know some pastors who are like that. And we wonder, well, were they really saved or did they lose their salvation? Uh, I think they found out who they really were. I think we found out who they really were. And here's the comfort I have. I know that some of those men will come back to the Lord at the end demonstrating that they really did belong to Jesus. The reality, Donald, is you and I, we don't have to know. The only one that we need to be sure of regarding our salvation is us, ourselves. And I know I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Can't wait to see Jesus. I hope it's via the rapture. But um, I've never had a moment's doubt about my salvation from the day I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And anybody who's abiding in Jesus has no questions at all about their salvation. So, Donald, if you're having thoughts about, well, am I really saved? How do I know? Can I lose it? You stay close to Jesus. Just be with Jesus. And all of those doubts will go away. Hey, good news. Tomorrow, Paula will be live in studio with us on the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.